Here they come! Welcome to episode 71 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Kelly Hogaboom to discuss the effects in 1957's The Black Scorpion. Hello! Hello! Who is it? We're talking B-movies again this week, and as is usual on this show, B-movie usually means Kelly, so hello, Kelly. Hey, good evening, Eric. Good afternoon, Kelly. Good to have you back. Good to be back on the old B-movies. It's been a while. Um, so let's let's kick this off. The Black Scorpion, Kelly. How far do you and the big Black Scorpion go back? You know, I don't remember the first time I saw it. It would have been in the 90s, and it definitely would have been um, Mystery Science Theaters. I think that was their first season that they they did this one. That is very interesting, because usually when we're talking B-movies, I tend to have a backstory with it, and you don't. It's, it can be very often a, a relatively new discovery for you. But this is the other way around then, because you saw this, you know, way before I did. I only saw this last year for the first time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing that um, I feel like it's kind of an underappreciated film. I think it's a it's actually a really good big bug movie. And, you know, even my early exposure, like, you know, in the 90s, per se, you know, that's back when we were watching bootleg VHS tapes of Mystery Science Theater. You know, you weren't, um, I wasn't watching the film on its merits. You know, I was probably with a bunch of friends and, you know, um, you know, that kind of an atmosphere, mm. uh, you know, two in the morning, you know, that kind of a thing. So I definitely didn't pay much attention to the film until I rewatched it again for this homework assignment. Mm. It's interesting that you say the word bootleg there because... I was a, I've always been aware of this film. It was in, in those books when I was growing up. There were two photos that were always always in the book. There's one of the uh, the small model black scorpion attacking that one of the helicopters at the end, like it does. Uh-huh. And then there's a close up of its face. Okay, um, but I I can't ever remember it being on TV over here, and I've never seen it for sale on video or DVD. So I've never had the opportunity to watch it, but I was at a film fair in London last year and it was there, but it was a bootleg. Okay. Oh, but, so uh-huh. it, it, it's funny that you and I seem to have both <laughs> seen it via a, a boot, a bootleg, uh, uh, source, but I, I see looking online, it, it has just had a Blu-ray re- release. Yeah. So that would be nice. I saw that too. You know, I, I just, for this podcast, I watched it streaming, um, but I'm wondering about that Blu-ray now because, uh, you know, I think we talked about this last time, or maybe it, maybe it was me and a different podcast, but, you know, I, wa- I watched all these old movies in Mr. Science Theater on those VHS tapes, and the, the quality is crummy, and then, you know, years and years later, I start to see a really high-quality print, and it really changes my experience of the film. Mm. Um, 
So, you know, my, my streaming version was fine, but now I'm kind of curious about this Blu-ray and how, how good it looks. Yeah, I've got to go out and get it. I really do. I really <laughs> right. do. But I, and there's, as a I couple, say, there's a couple uh, stop motion features on that Blu-ray. Did you notice that? It's on my bootleg. You know, usually a bootleg, it's an old, you know, it's a rip from a, a video cassette or something. But it has got the extras. And looking on the Blu-ray listing, it seems to be the same. So I think oh. I've, got, I've got a copy of an, uh, an official release, but it's just okay. not... Uh, it, it, it's, it's not legit. So it looks like I've, I, I have got the one that's now on Blu-ray, but I, like you, I want to see it in HD to just, you know, <laughs> see what it looks like. Right. Yeah. But when I bought it, I immediately thought of you, Kelly, because, you know, it's like, oh, I've got a new B-movie. We'll, we'll have to do that on Effectively Speaking. And when I... um watched it for the very first time originally as i was thinking about oh what would be a good scene to cover on this i originally i was just going to do the first appearance of the black scorpion um but then when i watched that we're going to be talking about it in a minute the terrific cavern scene um and then started looking into it and learn its backstory i thought oh this may be a time to actually look at the uh, effects in its entirety yeah, you know, I mean, ever since I got to know you, I try to, like, look at special effects more critically um, because I don't come with that background at all. And I, the whole time I was rewatching this, I kept thinking, this seems like such a good one for you because you have there, – there were so many different kinds of effects that they used. And some of them I think they did such a great job, and some of them are pretty, pretty poor. You know, it's a real mixed bag um, in this film. That so I'm looking forward to it. Go ahead. Yeah, and no, I was going to say, that's a great capsule comment. If you, if you want to sum this film up, it is a mixed bag, and we're going to be talking about that towards the end of this episode. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I went into this only knowing two stills, the one where it's trying to catch a helicopter and this very odd face, and I didn't know anything more about it, okay? I didn't know who was in it at all or anything. So I sit down when I got it, sit down start watching it and straight away i was so stunned by the parallels uh to them in this right. isn't there <laughs> if you've seen them you've seen the black yeah. scorpion <laughs> they've just changed the creature basically haven't they yeah i mean the you know the most besides the story the um you know, they used the same monster sounds, I think, which... They did, on the sound, the sound effects, yeah. That is yeah. the ant noise. <laughs> and there's a bunch of... And I also... I more recently watched Beast of Hollow Mountain, and they use a few... Um, there's a few people there that are involved, a few actors. And mm. um, so, you know, the, these movies are kind of all mashed together in my mind, um, as well as The Deadly Mantis and The Beginning of the End and... You know, I, I haven't even seen all that many uh, 50s big bug movies. But, um, yeah, they're, they're kind of an inbred lot of films, really, which, which is great. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah you, that, they all ge do gel together. I mean, you say about the Deadly Mantis, we got Tarantula as well. That, that right. it's, yeah, the mid-50s was a big bug season, wasn't it, you know? But, but here, I mean, there's so many similarities. I mean, you know, we've got the isolated community. We've got something coming out of the ground to attack it. You've got the lone child. They've even got the lone child survivor, you know, of right. an attack. You know, you've got the descent underground. You've got the attack on the city happening near the end. The first film was called Them. 
this one should be called these again or something, you know, because it's right. just so similar. Blimey. There they are again, right. And also, like, I feel like this film reminded me of them because I actually think both of those films are, both these films are pretty scary, whereas some of the other ones are not. You know, I I wasn't frightened in, the you know, the giant claw or tarantula or, but I actually think that this one's a little spooky uh, and it, there's some horror in it and there's a high body count in it. Um, so, you know, I, 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 that, uh, I, I think them is a better film, but this one, you know, wasn't far behind. I think them is more suspense, at least the build up to it. This one, yeah. I think that, I think it's because the scorpions are just so fast. They attack very fast and they're quite ruthless, aren't they? You know, I, I, I remember watching them with our, um, eldest daughter and, um, she was quite appalled. She was watching right. it and thinking, but those ants, it's not their fault. You know, why are they <laughs> killing the ants, you know? And she was taking the, the ant side, which looking at it, it's like, that's an interesting perspective. But on this, these are out and out vicious brutes, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they really are. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I know we're going to talk more about this, but I I'm still amazed how well they got the scorpion movements down and those long shot uh, sequences. Um, you know, they, someone really studied scorpions. Um, you know, the close-ups, we got some problems there, but those long shot, uh, when they're running around, that, that was pretty eerie. If I was a small child watching this film, I think I would have felt pretty uh, frightened at a few scenes. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, it's a given that, you know, if you have to stop motion a creature, the more legs you've got... <laughs> the more trouble you've got, you know. So here, here, here we've got six legs and two claws. I mean, that's famously, isn't it, why Ray Harryhausen, uh, when he did It it Came From Beneath the Sea, it's not a proper octopus because it's only got six tentacles instead of eight because it, it, it meant he had to animate two less, which made his uh, workload a lot <laughs> easier. He's like, listen, it's a sextopus, all right? I'm a not, sextopus, I'm tired. yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, yeah, yeah. All right, okay, that's the preamble over. So we'll go into a clip. All right, and then we'll get into it, all right? Okay. The throat, Major. Remember, the white area on the throat. The head comes back just before it strikes. Right. So we've got Hank Scott, played by Richard Denning, who you know, don't you? I know you know who Richard Denning is. Yes, creature from the Black Lagoon, of course. We have just had a Patreon special on, you know, uh, the co-hosts uh, top three creatures. And that was your number one, wasn't it? So I'm That's not surprised right. you recognize Richard Denning. Yeah, I mean, although to me, he looks like a lot of other guys in this era. He's he's nothing special to me. I just know him from a couple films. They do have a look and they also have a way of having their shirts unbuttoned and stuff. We said about this on the Angry Red Planet. It seems to be a thing back then that this is what the, the you know, the lead does. It, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah but you have to, I've been watching a lot of Italian 1970s horror and um, the, the shirts unbuttoned, they've got that. They blow it out of the water. These guys, oh. these 50 Americans have nothing on that, but... Yeah, and uh, they also grab. You notice they're always grabbing. You know the the ladies. They grab them and like cart them around, and you know hold both of their arms and move them around the set. So Richard mm. Denning does that several times in this film, which I find you know repulsive. So. It is it is very odd to to, to look back you know now yeah. and 
so many times in these films now you look back and you just wince, you know? Oh, yeah. You really do, <laughs> yeah. But we've also we got Carlos Rivas as uh, Dr. Ramos. Um, yeah. And they're down in Mexico to study an active volcano. They're not really studying an active volcano. That We're basically just looking at stock footage of a volcano, aren't we? Yes, and yeah, the volcano blows up, which reminded me, of course, of the Deadly Manus, which was some kind of a um, glacier or something falling mm. apart. And then I think the first line in the film are the two men, are, they're in a jeep, the two geologists, and I think Dr. Scott says, well, there there she is, and the other guy says, yep, <laughs> like looking at the volcano. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the dialogue starts out a little clunky on this one, for sure. <laughs> so many, This is why I like these films. The, the dialogue is not realistic. If, if, if you were in that situation, you would not be having this conversation with somebody, would you? <laughs> you know? be, yeah, you wouldn't. Like a volcano, I mean, I don't know. It's right there. So, yeah, they're, they're going to study the volcano. And um, I couldn't, like, get... I, I had a hard time understanding what exactly they were studying about it. Is it because it had erupted and it had a 9,000 foot, you know, column of smoke or I, it was unclear to me what they were, what they were doing no, there. It's just because it's there. So they're there, you know, and they, okay. they, they, they go to check it out. And, you know, and along the way, we also meet Mara Corday, who right. um, was in another big bug movie. Wasn't she? She was in Tarantula. Um, yes, and I, she was in the giant claw too, wasn't she? She which, was in a couple of these. Next year, it's a long way off, um, Kelly. But you and I are definitely doing the giant claw next year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a connection to the giant claw there, and also in behind the scenes, we'll talk about that uh, later on. But uh, I, I, I've always think Mara Corday. I don't know what it is about it. I think it's the eyebrows. She reminds me very much of uh, Sherilyn Fenn. Oh yeah, you know, who she was in Twin Peaks? Look. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. Mark Corday, very beautiful. Uh, she was born with some name like Marilyn Potts or something. You know, she changed <laughs> it. Uh, it's kind of sad because you know she is a great actress, but she—if you look her up, it's you know you're just seeing that she's a playmate and you see her measurements and you know. But mm. she really was a a gifted actress, and obviously she's like a super foxy rancher, and you know she runs a ranch. She's got her little um, ranching pants and her little ranching cone bra on. and But, yeah, she's very glamorous, very beautiful. And, you know, uh, this film wasn't didn't have a lot of great performances, but she did well, I thought. She did very well, but the first time you ever see her, she's on the rim of the volcano and falls off her horse, which, you know, even though you've set her up as, yeah, she's a rancher in charge of all these people and she's independent and successful, very good. But then the first time, you know, our hero, Hank Scott, sees her, she falls off her horse and he has to go and rescue her, which is like, really? <laughs> you know? yeah, and he runs over and he's grabbing her. He's just holding her. Well, I'd be like, give me a space cushion, buddy. But yeah, so they have a little banter and, um, you know, it's quite clear that she and, and um, Richard Denning are going to have a romance during this You film. just know it. I mean, you know... Tell me, tell me a fifties film where that setup happens and a romance does not happen. It it just does not happen. Right. See, oh, I would have gone for Carlos Rivas because he is a handsome, handsome man. So yeah, that would have been my choice. It's the cheekbones. He's got some good cheekbones oh, going on there. He's yeah, beautiful. 
beautiful. He's beautiful. Yeah. 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 So yeah, they, um, and this is when we start to learn a bunch of what cattle have been killed and, mm-hmm. um, people have gone missing. And is that, is that introduced at this point in the film? Just before that, they found the, uh, the trashed home with the police car that seems to have been crushed and they find the, uh, the policeman dead nearby mm-hmm. who's standing up he seems to have been scared to death or something but he he's standing up hiding behind a plant isn't he yes and they find a baby and dr scott is like pointing at the baby with his gun <laughs> like <laughs> towards very you know nerve-wracking scene but they find the surviving baby yeah they find something's not right here and the local boff in there he thinks there's some sort of organic poison going on um, and that some of the victims of this have got a single puncture wound at the back of the neck. And mm-hmm. he's also gotten a plaster cast of, of a whacking great big footprint, you know. And surely you'd be off. You'd be off to the city with that immediately, with that footprint <laughs> alone, wouldn't you? Yeah, that that was kind of a funny scene. And he um, makes a joke about drinking tequila in the middle of the day in his lab, which I think was... <laughs> <laughs> that's racially sensitive there, so. Oh, yeah, oh dear. Yeah, as I say, winceable. Um, but we also, just about this time, we meet the worst thing in this film for me, and I had no preparation for this whatsoever, just how bloody annoying Juanito would be. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. Well, I was thinking as I watched the film, because, yeah, they introduced a child. You know, he's a he's a very stereotypical, you know, little Mexican peasant boy, very agreeable, very, you know, cute, running running around. And, you know, I mean, I think don't they introduce these children into these films because it's kind of like the the nuclear family. You know, you've mm. got the the man, the the her, his romantic interest, and then they've got a child. Mm. And um you kind of are putting the child at risk. And, but yeah, like you say, it ends up being really annoying because Juanito is just constantly sneaking, you know, into these dangerous situations and putting himself at risk, you know, for the rest of the film. All the way through the film, I'm thinking, feed him to the scorpion, please. Yeah. Just you know, push uh, yeah, him down that I, hole. I wouldn't have been sad if that happened, you know. Oh, like, he, oh, he, oh man, he is annoying. All right, and they but, were supervising him too well because he just kept getting into situations where you're like, look, you know, keep that kid out of there, man. Yeah, yeah, just lock him in a room, you know, do yourself a favor. <laughs> All right, but the the first time we see the black scorpion is is when it it attacks the guys out fixing the telephone line and mm-hmm. the watching that and the guy up the tele telegraph pole there it made me uh think of that scene in tremors you know in yeah. tremors where they come across a guy who's like you know died of exposure stuck up a, a telephone wire pole and i'm wondering if the if this is a nod to the black scorpion from those guys who made that, that film yeah i made that connection too because um tremors was also kind of a kind of a weird west film right and yeah. um um, that, you know, that scene, I mean, Tremors is my age groups, you know, I would have been, you know, 10 or something when Tremors came out. I don't know. So, you know, that film is very dear to me. And yeah, I caught that, that possible reference as well. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you're out in the desert, aren't you? You know, in the middle of nowhere with a guy up a pole trying to fix a telephone line. That's not a coincidence. You know. <laughs> All right. But we get a roar. And then a close-up of the face. Now, I can't find through all my research who decided to give this giant 
black scorpion a face but that's a genius idea because if it was a regular scorpion face it's like oh that's a scorpion like the deadly mantis like tarantula oh it's a, a giant bug you know but to give it those big bulging eyes you know and those teeny tiny little sharp teeth and all that drool pouring out of its mouth brilliant this is a brilliant face i love it I was wondering about the face because they end up showing that face close up. I want to say about 12 times in the film. And I'm, I'm wondering if they thought it was a great shot or if they just needed, uh, needed a shot because I didn't like the face very much. I think an actual scorpion face is so much scarier. Um, whereas this thing looks a little absurd and it's covered in like mucus, which is kind of gross. <laughs> that word you say there absurd is is right because you know we learn unlike you know uh them and many other the of the big bug films of the time you know they've grown through mutation that hasn't happened in this film they just happen to be big bugs that live underground so if it's just a big bug that hasn't been altered by radiation or at all or anything why has it got a face you know but i like it i like it here and i was going to mention this as we go through the film i think one of the main failings in this film and why it affects my rating at the end is they use it far 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 too much you say 12 there I'm thinking it's at least three times that, or at yeah, least it fills it because they that you've got about like three close-ups of the face, three different close-ups of the face, and they use them endlessly. They keep cutting back to it, and it's just too much. This first time, brilliant. That's great. Right. It's it's impactful and it's different. I mean, they used it on the poster, you know, um, but they all the way through the film they keep cutting back to it, and I think that is a flaw of this film that you didn't need to. Focus on the stop motion. A lot of the stop motion is fantastic. You don't need to keep coming back and reminding the audience that, hey, this is what that thing looks like. It's not a scare moment when you've seen it more than 10 times, is it? Yeah, I agree with you. And, I mean, uh, there's a few other shots they have where they're not the strongest special effect shot, but we see it, like, several times in the film. And I I was just kind of wondering why they made that choice. Um... But, you know, this is also pre-Jaws, you know, the film, the monster film where you kind of famously learn that showing the monster less sometimes mm-hmm. makes for a more scary film. You know, so this was definitely not a film where they were trying to show the monster less. They were like, boom, here it is, boom, you know, the whole time. It's not subtle, is it? You know, you see, <laughs> you see the face before you see the rest of it. And looking at that face, I, I, I was watching it and, I, and looking at the size of the dripping drool coming out of its mouth, I was trying to work out the size of that actual head would have been. And I'm, I reckon, judging by the size of those drools, that's got to be about maybe a foot, maybe two foot wide, I would have said, that, that, that full, uh, you know, large scale head. And they also do something pretty cute where sometimes when they show that face close up, they the claw comes into frame too. Yes. And you know that's a separate claw with some dude, you know, sticking it. Kind of like the uh, Crab Monster film, you know, here's yeah. a paper machine claw. But, you know, I like that. I think that's one of those special effects that I can actually figure out. I'm like, oh, that's a totally separate piece. <laughs> so yeah. just, yeah. yeah, so very cute. I haven't- Yeah, I haven't been able to find out if it still exists. I know it's not in the collection of Bob Burns, to be sure. So I don't know if it was just, you know, chucked away at the end of uh, filming at all or anything. Mm -hmm. But as as you say, they've definitely used the ant sounds from them 
uh, mm-hmm. for its roar, mixed in with something that does sound like a roar of a, I don't know, a lion or a tiger. They've combined it with the ant noise, haven't they? Right. But then we do, we we switch to stop motion, and we've got the stop motion scorpion. It sort of cli- climbs down into a gully uh, to attack the first bloke, and that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, the second guy, he's stuck up that pole that we were talking about, and he spots it as it kind of like you know gingerly pokes its head out from underneath the bridge. Yeah, um, scary. Yeah, that that looks all right. But then we go back to a close up of the face again, don't we? <laughs> Um, yeah, and and then the scorpion he goes off and he attacks the third guy who's in the truck, and that's all pretty good. That's all stop motion. That looks all right. Um, and um, then it goes up to the guy at the pole, and this is the first time we see it later with the train sequence. But uh, it pulls him down quite brutally, doesn't it? And and then rather brutally uh, stings him to death. Yeah, and I think that those scenes where they have a little tiny, they've made a little tiny man, little tiny G.I. Joe guy, and the scorpion grabs it, I think that's one of the reasons this film's kind of more scary, because a lot of those films, you would see a giant bug, and then you would see a person, and the music and the, you know, the jump cuts were telling you that the bug was about to touch or grab or kill. Mm. But, you know, this is where you actually see it grasp. You know, I, I found those scenes pretty cool. They are cool uh, for exactly what you just said there. I mean, even in, in the Ray Harryhausen films, they're not totally convincing the human figures. I mean, you know, this would happen yeah. in Ray's films. It's something about the, the the speed of which the arms and the legs move, and you know that's a stop-motion human. But to see right. a human interacting with the monster or the creature gives the creature a sense of scale, doesn't it? You know, far more yeah. than, as you say, just jump-cutting. Yeah, and I just think it gives us, as a horror moment, it kind of gives you a visceral reaction. Like, you can picture how awful it would feel to be grasped around the middle, you know, because you're seeing it happen. And I actually thought the little the little figures, the little humans that were in this film were pretty good. Yeah, um, no, they're all right. Yeah, they're yeah. all right. Um, but, you know, what happens here, I mean, you know, it kind of, like, counteracts what the boffin who likes his tequila said he said you know the victims have one single wound on the back of the neck well the way the the way this scorpion is going at that guy he's hammering her way with his stinger that's not one subtle thing and and when you cut to the actor you know he's got blood coming out of his mouth i mean this isn't some small little puncture wound on the back of the neck is it no and i i feel like there's a lot of those old films didn't show blood and this one does, uh, not does. that often. Yeah, it's pretty, um, pretty cool. But yeah, it's not a. <laughs> I didn't understand the like you say because it seems like the scorpions would either tear people apart or yeah, um, pulverize them or sting them multiple times. But mm. uh, yeah, yeah, they, they are were trying. They were trying to have that mystery. Yeah, they were doing the mystery. You know, there's one stinger. There's a poison. You know, that was from them as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it next attacks our hero's place where they're bunkered down at the, you know, the the, the rancher's house, and uh, and here we get the, the staple for the rest of the film: far, far too many close-ups of the face. You know, you get five sex, f- five seconds of you know action, then the face. Another five seconds, then the face. It's just far too much. The next time we see the scorpion is when it attacks the town. And we get our first instance of the unfinished traveling mat. Now, do you know what yeah. I'm talking about when I say that, Kelly? 
I looked it up on IMDb, and I, I couldn't understand the explanation, and I was looking forward to you explaining that to me. All right. Now, when you're going to put stop-motion uh, footage onto a live-action footage, okay, um, you have to put in an area of the frame that's meant to have the stop-motion superimposed over it, okay? So basically, here you've got a scorpion. You want to put a stop-motion scorpion onto the live action. If you was to just get that footage of the scorpion and put it onto the live action, you would see the live action through the scorpion, all right? So what right. you have to do is put on this thing called a traveling mat, which is basically, if you like, a shadow. It's a black shape of the scorpion which you put onto the live action footage first and then you put the stop motion footage over the top so it's three layers you've got your live action you've got a shadow if you like of the scorpion and then you put the scorpion on the top okay yeah, that's that what you're meant sense. to do all right okay so that's what you're meant to do okay but i don't know if it was through lack of time or money or both there's a bunch of places in this film where they've put this travelling mat onto that, but then not got round to putting the scorpion over the top. So what right. you essentially get is a black shadow <laughs> yeah. of a scorpion going through the town. Yep. And, yep. you know, uh, if anyone's listening who didn't watch the film, I mean, it looks like almost like a finger puppet, a scorpion, just like on top of, you know, the, I mean, a shadow puppet. And... You know, again, what's surprising is how many times they went ahead with that effect. You know, we see it many, many times, and it's a really, uh, it looks pretty bad. What's even more surprising is the fact that one of them actually is in the trailer. If you go on YouTube and go Black Scorpion trailer, they've included one of them in the trailer as well. I don't know oh. if they thought, oh, that will just look, look dark and spooky or what. But, I... yeah, yeah, oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, yeah, and the human, the human brain is so quick to recognize its very two-dimensional shape. You know, it just it takes you right out of the film for sure. It's Especially totally after flat. All those, yeah, after all those really great stop-motion long shots, it's it's really jarring. It's just so odd. It is. It is very jarring. That's the word. Totally. But they decide to gas it while it sleeps because apparently this black scorpion is nocturnal. And they decide to gas it while it sleeps. So Hank and Dr. Ramos are lowered into the crater in this, well, bucket on a, on a cable, really, isn't it? Attached to a crane. Mm -hmm. And I love their natty uh, firefighting outfits that they're wearing. Right. Yeah, I mean, this, this is my favorite scene in the film. I don't know if it was, I don't think it was supposed to be the, uh, the climax of the film, but it kind of ends up being that way for me because... You know, yeah, they've got these corny little uh, suits on, and they're lowering into this cave, which seems so dangerous, even if there weren't scorpions in there, right? I mean, you don't mm. know what kind of gases are in there, and they, they, it doesn't look safe. And um, this, you know what, I wanted to know your opinion about this. When they're lowering the guys in the little, um, I don't know, bucket, uh, I really liked how a lot of lesser films would have just had these little dummies motionless, as they're being lowered, but they're moving. The little guys are, they're, they're using stop motion and posing those little tiny guys in the uh, bucket. And I thought that was just great. 
Well, well, that's Willis O'Brien. You know, he is a genius of stop motion. If you didn't have Willis O'Brien, you wouldn't have Ray Harryhausen, you wouldn't have Jim right. Danforth, you wouldn't have Phil Tippett and all these people that came after. And yes, for the long shots, it is a stop motion shot. And he thought, well, we can't just have them standing still. You're absolutely right. In any other film, you'd have two little figures in a dummy and you would film that. But no, they've stop motion animated these guys, haven't they? Just real subtle too, just really subtle mo movements. And I mean, I thought it was probably about as as good as you could get for this for 1957. And it it looks a, a lot better than when you see the close-ups. When you see the close-ups, you've got the two actors in this bucket, and it's clearly rear projection <laughs> behind right. them. You've got a cinema screen, and they're supposed to be acting. You know, that's right. So yeah, so that's them being lowered down, and they see one of the scorpions in a recess as they're going down. <laughs> And they photograph it. Now, when you see that scorpion, it's stop motion, isn't it? And it's the first time we see the stop motion uh, model's head. And it's clearly nothing like this human face that the close-up one has at all. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah. They... Um, and they, I just because they stop one inch away from that thing to take a picture of it. <laughs> like, I thought that was pretty funny. I would have been like, take me back up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But they get down there, they touch bottom, and when they get out of that, that's a very much, I think, like a cavern you would see in the original King Kong. It almost looks like a King Kong outtake. And you've even got, I don't know what it is, it's stop motion, but there's a bird, or I don't know if it's meant to be, be a pterodactyl flows past uh, yeah. flies past but they're in the heart of a volcano why is there some flying creature down there right i mean this this whole sequence reminded me of the lost world and king kong quite a bit um it just seemed like it was the sequence that had the most um the most of o'brien's kind of heart you know it seemed mm. like very much what his it's almost like it was his favorite scene i mean i have no idea um, because, yeah, you've got this bird, and um, in a few minutes, you've got the first other creature. The, mm. What's that, a worm or something, right? I think it's a, 30 a worm. Long. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and uh, I guess the so, – so, you know, um, Juanito has, has not only snuck along to the dangerous um, – trip of looking at this cavern but he's actually snuck into the bucket which is ridiculous so so he's wandering around and he at about the time that the two uh scientists are are seeing this giant worm coming to life he he opens up a little trap door a big trap door <laughs> and a quote a quote spider comes flying out of there um, and that spider was was ridiculous. It had like two legs or something. It just and I guess it was a over. It was a leftover scene or a leftover monster from King Kong. I've seen that it it's it's not the spider. It's the worm that is the uh, leftover from King Kong. Oh, but then I've seen one. other ones saying it's both of them. But in both cases, I tell you what is it it makes them bizarre. Is yes, you've got a thirty foot worm. But it's got like arms and claws on the end of it. How, how scary would a worm be if it actually had claws at the front of it, you know? And yeah, this spider thing has got a big fat body. It's got long legs. But again, it's got claws at the front, hasn't it, you know? Right. It doesn't yeah. look 
structurally sound and it doesn't move very well. It's just not great. <laughs> no, no. But it should have got Juanito. Yeah, but it should have got Juan, Juanito. That's that should have been the end of his story. Oh, he, he he's terrible. But also at the same time as we're seeing these two creatures, we're seeing a whole bunch of the scorpions attack. So up until this point, you think there is one because the film's called the Black Scorpion. You think there is one singular black scorpion but now you see there's a whole bunch so shouldn't the film be called the black scorpions yeah i guess that was a surprise for us yeah <laughs> although at the end at the very end there is only one isn't there so maybe that's why they've done it and this is this this is the scene where the scorpions actually turn on each other um for the first time of mm. course and um, it reminded me very much of uh, we have four cats, and when when it's time to eat, when the food comes out, it, it's just like this. There's no loyalty, and there's just <laughs> you know claws striking out at one another. So the scorpions start kind of fighting each other, right? As they're as they're killing the worm. That's right. Yeah, and also one of them wanders off and starts attacking the uh, the bucket and the cable, which yeah. I don't understand why it would attack the bucket and the cable. But there you go. Um, but the bucket, it's snapped off, and uh, they're all pulled up by the cable. Um, while I don't know why, while they're doing that, all the scorpions clear off. I don't know where they've gone off to, but yeah, it's bored. convenient they that went, they disappear. They went to go eat the worm. They drag it off, and they're tearing it up uh, and eating it. Which okay. So close. And I also, this was the only scene where I felt some tension because as Carlos Rivas is being pulled up, he's just hanging with his arms on the cable because mm. the bucket's gone. He, as he's being pulled up, he turns into a little dummy, you know. Uh, and I'm, I, and I didn't know if he was going to survive the film or not. So I was waiting for him to get torn apart right there. Mm. Um, and of course he doesn't. But uh, that scene was the minute he turns into a dummy. I thought, oh, he's gone. Yeah, yeah, expecting <laughs> him to fall back down. No, he makes it. They all make it, including Odia, the boy. Um, and they blow up and seal the crater and they think that's the end of it now as I say I didn't know anything about this film and I wasn't looking at the time tracker on the blu-ray so I didn't know that that wasn't the end of the film I thought oh that's the end of the film then it's a bit of a short film but of course that call to Mexico City uh, to be told that aerial footage has shown that at least one scorpion made it out when that crater blew up yeah, and that scene is so silly because, first of all, that's the scene where they shoehorn in the romance between, um, mm -hmm. you know, the a male and female lead. And um, so, you know, kind of unnecessary, but they show them, you know, getting it on and, and starting to like each other. And then they, they call uh, the two geologists down to this conference to say, look, the scorpions are still alive. They've prepared a slideshow. <laughs> and they all turn off the lights to watch the slideshow for one photo. But also they have to explain the fact that, that sometimes underground caverns are connected to one another. They're yes. explaining that to a couple of geologists. like that. Yeah, that, like, that, there, that there is something called tunnels, you know. Yeah, like, you know what, I know that, and I don't have a geology <laughs> Oh dear! These were simpler times, I think. I think the the, the audiences, you know, were um, expected not to have too many expectations. You know, yeah, it is very much dumbed down. Yes, but while they're debating what to do, the scorpions attack a train, 
um, by standing on its tracks and derailing it. Mm-hmm. And um, that, again, is, is a scene. When, all, when you've got all the carriages down on the ground and the scorpions swarm over it, and you see them fighting for, you know, picking up humans and fighting over them, don't you? Uh, yeah, and in a film today, they would show the humans being torn in half, you know. Yeah. But um, it was pretty gruesome. Like, uh, if, if I had a child, a small child in 1957, I would fully expect that child to have nightmares after that scene. Yeah. Um, they kill. It says they killed 137 people, and there's hundreds more who are unaccounted for. I mean, it's pretty brutal. And I loved the scene where the train comes around the corner and the scorpion is standing, straddling the tracks. Mm. That was a great scene. That was pretty awesome. It's a great scene, but if 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 you look closely, just after that, when the track uh, train derails. It's a toy train. What they used was a toy train. And the company name of the uh, toy is actually still visible as it falls off. Yeah, I read that online. Uh, several people pointed that out. And also, I guess the passengers are painted on the windows. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of missed that, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's obviously a toy, but it's, it's um, obviously you know, a toy. But I don't mind it. This is what I love about B-movies. This is what I love about films from this time. You can see, yes, that's a toy, and they've painted people on it. Now, if you was to do the Black Scorpion, you know, now, you know, everything would be CGI, and it'd be very realistic, and it'd be, you know, very thrilling, I'm sure, and gripping. But all these effects have a charm to it. You're like, they're on a very low budget, and they've got to get this, you know, notion across, and they right. do it. And it has yeah. a charm to it, you know. This is why I love these films. I I was thinking about you when I was rewatching this because I'm like, is it more expensive or less expensive to do all, if you were to do this film today, to do it with you know 90% CGI, 10% you know puppets or whatever, versus you know 90% practical, 10% CGI. Like, which one costs more? Hmm. Mm. That is a very good question, isn't it? It's a very good question. I, I think people are ready to see practical effects in monster films. I think people are would be really down for that. I think there's a lot of fans like you and I and countless others who love the practical effects when it comes to monsters. What I'm very heartened by is the fact that practical effects are not going away. Um, the last film I saw at the cinema, uh, we all went to see um, the, the Wes Anderson film, uh, The Isle of Dogs. Right. Which, Kelly, Kelly, if you can get to see it, because I I understand in America, you know, it's got quite a limited uh, theatrical release. If you can get to see it, go and see it, because number one, it's a terrific film. Number two, it's all stop motion, okay? And it is terrific. And, And it is so fantastic to see in 2018 that you can have a a major release, you know, uh, cinema film all in stop motion. And it is a totally charming and a totally technically brilliant film. I do urge anybody listening to this, if you can, go out and see Isle of Dogs. If you can't go out, make sure you get it when it comes out on Blu-ray or streaming or whatever, you know? Yeah, and I mean, not to get us off topic, but I just, I, I feel like CGI effects, especially creature effects, they just age so quickly and they look so bad in just a few years. Whereas... We're talking about a very old film in this podcast, and like you say, it's not it's not entirely convincing, but it's compelling and it looks great and it, it draws you in. 
I think far more than a CGI effect. So I'm I'm getting off the soapbox, but I I absolutely <laughs> like would love to see more more puppets and more mo- animatronic monsters in my movies. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm getting off my soapbox uh, too. Okay. All right. So yeah, um, the the scorpions have a big old scrap, and it seems that one of them is victorious, and he goes off to Mexico City. And I'm afraid we get a lot of that terrible black shadow effect as he arrives yeah. at the city and people running away. Over, and yeah, over and over and over, they keep showing us people running through this, you know, the streets and then this two-dimensional shadow of a scorpion. It's, um, yeah, bizarre. If they had had the time or the money or whatever to do this, this would have looked great, you know, but it doesn't, you know. Right. All right. Well, the scientists and the army, they've set up in the stadium and they await its approach. And they've got this whacking great big harpoon hooked up to some sort of like harpoon launcher. The tip is electrified by a trailing cable, which goes off to a generator, doesn't it? Yeah, 600,000 volts, I believe, mm. they say, which that seems really high to me. Well, who is the person who decides, yeah, that's enough voltage to kill a giant black scorpion? But somebody, somebody's come up with that number. But the scorpion arrives, the tanks and the guns, they open up, but there's no effect. It attacks the tanks. Uh, and there is a major who's in charge of firing the harpoon, okay? Right. For once, we don't have the hero um, doing it. He's standing off to one side, and you've got this major, and it's like, remember, major, you know, to take aim aim just below, you know, in its throat, the pale area in its throat, and he misses, okay? Well, I mean, okay, the minute you see the major between the two guys, you know he's going to get killed. That's a picture moment. (laughs) I just felt sad for the guy. And also, you know, aim for the throat. It's like, oh, right, you know, why why would you tell me that? Like, I think he knows that. (laughs) And they have some difficulty figuring out when to turn on the voltage and when not because of course that's what kills the major is he grabs the electrified cable it's awful this is my my favorite (laughs) moment of the film is he misses he's pulling this cable back in saying i won't miss this time and then touches the tip which is still electrified and it's both terrible and brilliant the acting you know as this yeah. guy is electrocuted <laughs> and i i also read that at that high of a voltage the um electricity arcs through the air so you couldn't safely handle that weapon no matter what um and so, yeah and that and they're all standing on on a metal vehicle as well right. you know? <laughs> one inch away from it and yeah. um you hadn't talked about this yet but you also noticed that the voice of the narrator who opens the film and the voice of the cop dispatch at the beginning of the film and the voice of the radio disc jockey and the voice of the um, emergency, you know, dispatch guy. They're all the same guy, which really <laughs> cracks me up. That very, um, you know, commanding narrating yeah, voice. Yeah. But, and, oh, it's, yeah, so, it's so sweet. Got, yeah. And you're just you've got all these supposedly Mexican army um you know, soldiers, but like the major, but he is an American speaking guy with a big old American accent. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of goofy. Yeah. Goofy sums it up as well. Yeah. But of course it's then our hero's turn and there's no doubt that he's not going to miss, is he? He's, he's going to make that shot. And, uh, Hank does. And that's it. The creature's dead. It gets electrocuted. Uh, we get a, a, a new close up of its face. It's dead face 
where the eyeballs seem to have been boiled or something like that. And I thought it ends very similar to King Kong in which you have the dead body in the foreground and a crowd of people. They kind of like milling around in the background, aren't they? Oh, I was just going to say, it reminded me of the Deadly Mantis because they're standing like really close to the monster and then the the male and female leads, you know, start making out right there, right at that moment. (laughs) And and also, how, how many helicopters did they fly right up to that thing and it tore them it tore <laughs> apart a lot of helicopters yeah it's just like back off it's like the it's like the biplanes in king kong once he's got the first one you just back off you know exactly but, yeah but what you're saying there i mean fine that's the end let it end there but no we've got to have this really stupid you know bit at the end where you know hank and Teresa they got that they're being asked where they're going because you know um things aren't finished and you know hank turns around he goes things aren't finished here nudge nudge (laughs) wink wink and it's like oh really oh man any any single guys watching this film do not copy hank's moves he has has terrible moves and they won't work in real life so (laughs) can you uh, imagine trying to do that now i mean i don't know i don't know even if that worked in 1957 but oh dear oh dear what a groaning juicy end (laughs) yeah but yeah so um you know, the I like the monster at the end, the dead face with the clouded eyes. I actually like that was like the one face close up that I liked. Um mm. it was off at an angle kind of and it wasn't drooling anymore and um but yeah, that's kind of classic, right? They showed the dead monster and then the movie's just kind of over. There's no recap or epilogue or anything no, like that. No. That's it. Because now, you know, if you, if you remade this now, you would have some eerie music or you would have a post-credit scene where you go down into the crater, down and down and down, and you'd see, yeah, yeah, you know, some, you know, more scorpions starting to, like, come up to the surface. There would be some setting up for a sequel now, wouldn't there? That would be called Not Them Again. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant name. That's what they should do it. Not Them Again. <laughs> All right, okay, so the film's over. Behind the scenes-wise, um, um, I don't know how much you've got, Kelly, but, uh, yeah, the stop-motion, it was a combined effort of Willis O'Brien, you know, the pioneer who worked on uh, The Lost World and then King Kong, um, aided by Pete Peterson. And um, they started to work, it was all down in Mexico, a place called Tepeyac Studios in Mexico City, and it was an old dressing room, that they had had converted into their stop-motion studio. Uh, But the money started to become tight, and they had to then move back to California, to Encinio, where um, Pete Peterson lived, and they finished off the rest of the stop-motion in his garage. Okay. Yeah. Um, Now, while they were doing um, the stuff, um, you know, down in Mexico... They were assisted with some of the miniature set construction by Ralph Hamareras, I think his name is, who was at the same studio at the same time filming, oh, what a surprise, the visual effects for the giant claw. Okay. So so the giant claw and the black scorpion, special effects-wise, were in production at exactly the same time. Now, I don't know if this was done before the live action of both films, but, of course, you know, Teresa in this film, the female lead, was in both films. 
So right. I'm assuming, you know, when the stop motion work was being done, the special effects were being done, they were being done at the same time for both because she couldn't be in two places at once. Well, that's just so I, – I haven't seen the giant claw in a few years, but I don't remember being very impressed with any of the monster effects in it. So it's odd that they're the same – kind of the same crew. Well, no, th this guy, this Ralph guy, I mean, he was making the sets for it, you know. So he was making uh -huh. the miniature cities and the buildings that's, and stuff like okay. that. Okay. Um, so that's fine. I mean, yeah, the giant claw, as I say, uh, to be continued in 2019. But, yeah, the giant claw, one of the massive, hilarious failings of the giant claw is it's not stop motion. It's not high-speed photography. <laughs> it's a bunch of puppets, isn't it? You know, being being animated in real time, and that's half of the problem and half of the charm of the film. So, yeah, no, this guy, I think he's absolved of it. He wasn't okay. anything to do with that. He he's making the, the buildings. Yeah, right. he's the miniatures guy, which is fine. Yeah, fine. You know? that, I thought the miniatures in this film were pretty good. I mean, that cavern, the cavern looks fantastic when they yeah. touch down. You know, it looks brilliant. Um, what you were saying earlier, yeah, there is some debate about, you know, just which of the two or whether it was both uh, of the cavern creatures, whether it be the worm or that odd spider, were props from the unused spider pit sequence from King Kong. Now, mm -hmm. Willis O'Brien, of course, did all of the stop motion on King Kong. And it, it's kind of logical that if you're going to come up with this cavern, you know, populated by monsters, if, you've got, he's, if he's got a couple of stop motion props ready to go, he would use them. But there is some debate whether it was one, the other, or both. But I think right. that's great because, you know, I mean, that's an almost um, legendary missing scene, isn't it? You know, the... Right. Um, the, the spider pit sequence from King Kong. And I, I, I like the idea of a couple of the models might have appeared, you know, 30 years later in, um, you know, in this film. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Definitely the coolest scene, I thought, uh, as a whole, is the cavern scene. Well, I like the, what we were talking about. When, when the scorpion first attacks those, um, uh, you know, telephone people, I thought this is pretty nifty. I wasn't expecting it to be this good. Um, right. And then when it gets to the cavern sequence, it's like, well, this is bloody great, you know. Exactly. So, so, yeah. so hence the reason for including everything in it. But as, as you know, uh, as much praise as we're putting on those two, we've also got to take into account you know, the close-up of the face and the overuse of it and the uh, travelling mats giving black shadows everywhere. So that all has to be taken into account when we do our rating, Kelly. So <laughs> while we've been waffling away here, have you actually thought of a rating for it? Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to go with a 7. I mean, uh, there were parts of it that were like a 9, 10 special effects, but they just really did overuse several things and they had some huge liabilities and... Weirdly, the film kind of felt like it drug out, even though it's short. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm going with a seven. Although, honestly, I mean, I loved, loved, loved several of the sequences. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the stop motion, it, it's really good, and I like the face. I I really do like the face, but it's overused. It's overused far too much, and um, and then those traveling mats spoil it. Um. I'm I'm nowhere near as generous as you. I I thought that would equate to about a five, so mm. uh, that gives it an average of a six. You know. All right. 
Now, that's when you think that this is a B movie and five is average, that's given us a, an, an above average rating. So, and a lot right. higher than some of the things you and I have discussed when we've been doing uh, B movies as well. Right. Uh, I watched some pretty terrible films. I think I watch worse films than you do, Eric. So I'm, All right. I'm, more, I'm more generous. All right. Well, next time you're back, Kelly, I'm not giving anything away right now, but next time you're back, we're going more modern. Okay. And I think you're going to be giving at least one of them a much higher score. Okay. I'll okay. talk to you in a minute about that. But for now, thank you, Kelly. Right. Thank you, Eric. It was a lot of fun. Ditto. Um, thank you, anyone listening, and stay tuned for a little while to find out what um, Kelly and I will be talking about next time. So thanks, everyone, and see you next time. All right. Good night.